Amen. Well, good morning again, Crossing. Uh, when I was in, in Kozad trying to roll the TV out and everything, I did not do it quick enough, and so I started my whole sermon from behind a TV, <laughs> and people were like, God? No, my voice does not sound like God, don't we? Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh, uh-huh. She's like, hey, John thinks he sounds like God. No, no. All right, so we are going to do something a little bit different this morning, um, just to kind of start things off. So I'm going to invite you all to participate with me here on this. Um, basically, what's going to happen is I am going to say an identity, okay? And your job is to act it out, okay? Yeah, oh, oh, yes. So it's a good thing that you are here this morning because, yeah. So if you do not want to participate, don't feel pressured to participate. But if you would like to, I want you to channel this. Like the identities that I say, this is who you are and let your actions reflect it. So if you're in, I need you to stand up. Hallelujah, because in Kozad, at first, only one person stood up. And I was like, this is going to be real awkward. Okay, so we have some, come on, it's not that bad. It's not, thank you, Tanya. It's not that bad. You can do this. All right, you ready? You ready? So first identity that you need to act out. And I mean like sell it. This is who you are. Okay, you ready? You ready? And this will be easier for some of you. I'm looking at you, Don. Cowboy. Wow, I heard, okay, so there's a lot of lassoing. I heard one like, yee-haw. No, that was pretty good. All right, all right, all right. How about this one? How about this one? Football player. Wow, we have so many quarterbacks and no wide receivers. We got a dad over here tackling his daughter. Don't take it that far. That's okay. All right, how about this one? Because you guys, you guys will like this one. You ready? Ready? Eric Most. Let me see it. Eric Most is our lead pastor. Let me, let me see an impression. I don't know what this is. I don't think I've ever seen Eric do this. In my Hershey math, there you go. That's Eric Moss. All right, and now, of course, because I couldn't not do this one. How about John Phillips, myself? Let me see this. <laughs> All right, so I see a lot of worshiping. That makes me feel really good. That makes me feel good. All right, you guys can go ahead and sit down. Oh, man, go buy that house. That's perfect. Yep. If you don't know that story, you guys need to talk to the Hagans. <laughs> yep, anyways, we're going to leave it at that. So, but did you notice how whatever I called out, you, you acted differently? And you're like, well, duh, of course, <laughs> like that's going to that's gonna happen. But that's because your identity or what you believed your identity was changed, right? And so the, the way that you acted was reflected by your new identity. And some of you, some of, not all of you, I saw you, Tanya, you were like, eh, half and half there. Some of you sold it. You believed it. You're like, I am a football player. I'm going to tackle my daughter, like, like what Josh Hagan did over here. So like you, you channeled that. You believed it. You're like, this is who I am. And see, here's the thing. How we view ourselves is so important because it's going to determine how we carry out our life. It's going to determine how we interact with others, how we interact with our families, at work, at jobs. It's going to determine, and it's all viewed through the lens of who you believe that you are, who you believe that you are. And that's because actions, they're an outflow of our mindset. Actions are an outflow of mindset. The question is, what determines your mindset? What determines how you view you? 
A lot of times, our mindset is based off of like our accomplishments. You know, if we're successful at work or successful in raising our family or successful in sports, whatever it is, if we view ourselves as successful, then that's, how, that's what our mindset is going to be. If we're financially successful, we view ourselves as like being well off. But it, it's also the same with negative, right? If we make a mistake, we can view ourselves as a failure, Right, we see this so much in sports, especially with like junior high and high school age, where like the coach calls them over and is like, "Hey, hey, here's what I want you to do. Here's the play. Go and do it." And they go and they try their hardest and they mess it up. And what happens? Well, sure. <gasps> no, here's here's what happens. You ready? They do it, and and immediately this is what happens. Why? Not because they failed but because they now feel like a failure. And, and fortunately for sports, though, even though they are important, they're temporary. It's easy to change how you feel because you have practice the next day, you have the next game, I mean, you've got the next season. It's easy for us to improve ourselves and to bounce back when there's failure in sports. But, but what about when the stakes are just a little bit higher? What about when there's a mistake, not just in a game, but in your family? What about in your job, in your career? What about in your schooling? See, if your mindset about yourself is based off of your accomplishments, your family, your job, you know, then what happens when there's a failure? Not even accomplishments. What about just when there's an issue? Because Let's be real. We all have issues, right? Good. I'm, I'm glad at least two people do. So I know we all have issues. You're struggling through something or maybe like you're, you're trying really hard to do this thing and you're looking at this person over here who's doing the same thing and they're, they're doing a better job than you are. And so you're sitting here like comparing yourself going like, man, I wish I could just be where they're at. I wish I could just do what they're doing. And why am I not at that level? And we work and we work and we strive and we strive and we're still not as good as they are. And we begin to feel like failures. Like, man, I'm just, I'm just not good at this. And it can so easily drag our mindset into a negative direction. So what we need to make sure of is this, two things. What lens are we viewing ourselves through? How do you determine our mindset? How do we determine our mindset about ourselves? And then two, is it a lens or a mindset that will lead to positive action and get you where you want to go? Because actions are an outflow of our mindset. And here's the thing. If you are here this morning, you aren't a Jesus follower. Maybe you're just checking out the church or checking out something like that. You can take this principle. I mean, it's, it's negative mindset versus positive mindset. That's all that it is, super simple concept. You can take it, you can apply it to your life, and hopefully it'll help you. But if you're a Jesus follower here, man, what is, what is our church's mission? Say it out loud. What is our church's mission? <laughs> yes, you, I'm sure you all said it, but it was just really funny in my ears. To see people meet, follow, and love Jesus. That is our mission as the crossing, but that's not just our mission as the crossing. That is every Jesus follower's mission. At least it, it, it should be, right? But if, if you're a Jesus follower, and, and that's our mission, is to see people meet, follow, and fall in love with Jesus, but, but actions are an outflow of our mindset, and our mindset 
is negative about ourselves? I mean, Eric, he says this all the time, that Jesus followers should be the most free, joyful people because our confidence, our assurance is in the work of Christ and what he did on the cross. It has nothing to do with us. Hallelujah, because I'm a failure. Like, I don't want it to be based off of me. I want it to be based off of the only one that can come through. And because it is, I should have joy. I should live freely. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and that is how I should live. But that's not really the way it goes, is it? If I go through life knowing the mission, right, and I, and I wake up every morning and I'm like, man, my mission is to see people meet, follow, and love Jesus. God has equipped me to do this. Like, I got the power. I got the power. Like, I got the Holy Spirit, fire, come on. Like, if I get out of bed in the morning and that is my mindset, bam, I could run through a brick wall for Jesus. Like, come on. If that is my mindset, holy cow, nothing can stand in my way. But if I get out of bed in the morning and say, man, you're worthless. Man, you're a failure. You know, why, why even try? You're just going to mess it up again. If that's our mindset, our actions are going to reflect that. And if that's our view of ourselves and crossing, how in the world could we expect to see people meet, follow, and fall in love with Jesus if that's how we view ourselves? John, in his book, he tells a story about a woman who actually, she had this kind of mindset. And in this account written by John, it, it becomes so clear how a change in mindset can completely shape a lifestyle. It says this, so he, Jesus, he left Judea and he returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. And eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, he sat beside the well around noontime. And the crazy thing is about, about this, this is a real place. You can go to this well. You can go. I wouldn't advise it right now, but you can go to this well. You can visit it. It's real people, real locations, real stories. This is real stuff. And, and it goes on and it says, soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, that Je- and, and, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone to the village to buy some food. And the woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with the Samaritans. So get this, get this, right from the beginning, she's already feeling like she's being viewed as someone not even worth conversing with. She's walking up to the well, and she sees not just a man, but a Jewish man, and she goes, oh, I thought maybe I would have one day, just one day, where I'm not viewed like this. And I kind of wondered why the Jews looked down on so many people, especially the Samaritans. And so I did some research, and, and the Samaritan race, they came about after the Assyrians, they actually invaded the northern kingdom of Israel, and they, they captured some of the people that were there. And so some were captured, and they were taken back with the Assyrians, but some were left there. And the ones that were left behind, what they did is they ended up, over time, they married 
with the Assyrians, and they married with the people who were kind of from that area that, that weren't Jews. So you take people who were Jews who were supposed to be living a holy life and supposed to be like the chosen people of God, and all of a the sudden, they're intermixing with people who believe in so many different gods and not the God of the Jews and who live their life one way. But, but the Jews, they're supposed to be these holy people, and now they're mixing with these people. And, and those mixing with those people, they, they had children, and those children were the Samaritans, all right? Now, later in the 6th century, the Jewish people, they returned to that land that the Assyrians uh, took over, and their goal was to rebuild the temple. They're like, we want to rebuild it. This is, this is where it's supposed to be. But these half-Jew, half-Gentile people, they weren't invited to help rebuild the temple. They were the offspring of people who compromised their faith, okay? We can't have these people help rebuild such a holy site like the temple? Like, why in the world would we allow that? And so the Samaritans, they built their own temple. And the Jews were like, that's not a real temple. That's not the place to worship. And, and the Jews built it over here. And, and throughout, from generation to generation, there's just this animosity and this judgment that's happening between the Jews and the Samaritans. And the Jews truly believed that they were in the right. And the Samaritans continued to get told by the Jews, you're doing this wrong. Remember, your ancestors are the ones that compromised their faith. So, so that's why there was such hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans. So Put yourself in the place of the Samaritan woman for a second. She's approaching the well that she always goes to, and before anything happens, she's already feeling less than just because of her heritage. Her identity is already one that is less than simply by just existing. And she, she said to Jesus, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Your people don't like my people. You think that we're less than human. You say we don't worship right. We don't do any of these things right. Why in the world would you, a Jew who's so high and mighty, want help from me, a Samaritan woman? And she looks at him fully expecting him to reply in some snark remark because, you know, that's what Jews do. And Jesus replied, man, if only you knew the gift that God has for you and who you're speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. And she's like, here we go again with another Jew telling us Samaritans how we're the ones who are doing it wrong. And why is he bringing God into this? Like, we were talking about water, and now, like, I guess that's what I should expect from a Jew, because, you know, they're so righteous and holy and things. And so she kind of gets a little defensive in her response here, and she's like, but sir, you don't even have a rope or a bucket. And this well, it's very deep, in case you didn't notice. Where would you even get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? She's like, you don't even have the tools to collect the water. What are you talking about? And she's like, I, th I thought we were just talking about water, but since you, a Jew, went ahead and made it all spiritual and talking about God and stuff like that, let me bring up Jacob. You know Jacob, right? I mean, the, the father of the 12 tribes of Israel, like your ancestor, I mean, he's kind of holy, he's kind of good at what he does, and what makes you think that you're better than Jacob? 
I mean, seriously? Man, all you Jews just think you're so high and mighty. You think that you just have it all figured out, so much so that you're willing to talk bad about the father of Israel and Jacob. I mean, really? And Jesus, Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And I think here, Jesus was speaking to a physical desire that this woman actually had. You see, the, the story talks about how it was around noontime in the desert, and this woman and Jesus were the only ones at the well. See, most of the women at this time, they would have been back at home. They would have come out early in the morning or later on in the evening when it wasn't so hot in the middle of the desert to collect their water. Like they would have, and, and back then, like in cultural times, what would have happened is when they go to collect water, it's like coffee hour for women. Like literally, they would go and that was how they would socialize. That's what they would do. And that was their time to go get the water that they needed for the day. But they would be there and personal with each other. And, and for some reason, this woman came at noon almost like she was avoiding other people. But we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. But Jesus here, he's so thoughtful with his words. He's presenting a solution in a way that she thinks it's just about her physical need and physical desire. She's like, oh, hallelujah, I won't have to come out here anymore and try and avoid people and do those things. I won't have to worry about that. And no, she's not thinking that because she's an introvert. That's not what it is. What she thought was a provision for just one issue that she had, Jesus knew that it was a provision for so much more. She says, please, sir, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here and get water. She's still thinking that this is just about water and helping her to avoid people. So Jesus, what he does is he takes this opportunity to all of a sudden take it from, I'm going to fulfill a physical need, to I'm going to fulfill a spiritual need that you have. But he knows that she's a Samaritan, and no Samaritan is going to listen to a Jew about this stuff. But Jesus is smart, so he knew that he needed a way to show her that he was different, that she was more to him than just a Samaritan. And so he says, go and get your husband. Wow, great line, Jesus. That shows that you care about her, right? Go and get your husband. And immediately she's like, great. I'm not just a Samaritan, I'm a woman. And now you're going to say, hey, I got this living water for you, but you're not going to tell me how to get it unless I go and get a man for you? Really? And, and, and she's just like, are, are you kidding me? And she just kind of gets defeated. And she's like, you know, for just one second, I thought that this whole thing between Jews and Samaritans was just laid aside, and, and, and I thought that you were actually going to help me. And so she just kind of defeated, says, I don't have a husband. Now he's not going to tell me anything about this living water because I'm a woman, I'm a Samaritan, and I don't have a husband. And she's just at the point where she's like, you know what? I already feel down. You don't have to pile it on me. Just let me go home. And Jesus says, 
you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. And she freezes. She's like, how in the world did he know that? Who you been talking to? Like, what in the world is this? Like, how would a random Jewish man know this about me? But, but, but not just how would he know this about me. Why in the world would a random Jewish man know this about me and continue the conversation with me? Can you imagine the fear and the confusion that she had running through her mind of just like, whoa, whoa, something is different here. And she's like, oh, okay. So she didn't really know how to respond. So she's like, okay, you must be a prophet. So, so tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim that it's here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped? She's like, you're already talking to me about this stuff. You know this about me. Why don't you go ahead and tell me why I worship wrong then? But, but don't be like all these other Jews who just say, you're wrong. Tell me why I'm wrong. Why is it I'm wrong? If you know that about me, there must be something different about you because no Jew would know those things about me and continue this conversation. So please, please tell me the real way to worship. If I've been doing it wrong, if our ancestors have been doing it wrong, quit telling me we're wrong. Tell me why we're wrong. Just pile it on here. Go ahead. Just tell me what I've been doing wrong this whole time and why the way I worship is not the right way. And this right here, this right here is where Jesus introduces a concept that completely rattles the religious world as it was back then. Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one that you worship, it, which, which seems like an offensive statement, but, but it's, it's the truth because the Samaritans, they only ascribed to the Torah, which was the first five books of what we know as the Old Testament. So they completely excluded all of the writings of the prophets and everything else. And, and, and so Jesus is like, you know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews, which Jesus was a Jew. So he was saying salvation himself comes from the Jews through the line of David. And she's just kind of like tuning in a little bit because she's like, no Jew would say the time is coming where it will no longer matter where you worship. No Jew would say those words. No ordinary Jew anyway. So she kind of like tunes in and she's like, what? What is this guy talking about? And he says, but the time is coming. Indeed, it is here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. He's saying the time is here where it doesn't matter where you worship God. God is a spirit, so he's not bound by a location. So it's okay to worship him here or here. It's okay. Worship him in spirit and in truth. And the woman, she just seems like to kind of connect the dots, and, and she understood this Jew's talking about the Messiah. This guy's talking about, he, he's talking about the coming Messiah, the one that, you know, I've, I've, I've heard about this guy. I know that he's coming, but that's, that's who he's talking about, right? And, and she responds, 
She said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who's called Christ. And with this statement, it's, it's almost like she kind of sits back for a second. Like she's been waiting for the Messiah to come for so long. She's like, I'm, I'm tired of all this fighting between Jews and Samaritans. I'm tired of being told that I'm doing it wrong just because of my lineage, just because of my choices, my, my past, being told over and over again about how wrong I am. I'm just, I'm just so tired. And we almost get a look into maybe why she lives the way that she lives. You see, every, every single one of us, we're all seeking fulfillment. And it's like this woman, she's been seeking fulfillment in, in men. And she's like, okay, the first one didn't work out, so let's move on to the next one. This one, he's, he's, good. he's perfect. I mean, look at him. Like, he's going to fulfill everything. Oh, no, that one didn't work. Okay, this next one, this one, this one's going to fulfill me. This one, will make, okay, he didn't quite work out. This next one is perfect. And she's searching for something. She's trying to get fulfilled with something, and she's choosing these men to try and fulfill her. She's going from one to the next, or, and maybe she's just like, the next one, the next one will be the one. I know it. Or maybe, you know, back in those times, if a woman wasn't able to conceive, then typically she would be divorced or just kind of cast out. So maybe her fulfillment was in wanting to become a mother. And it, and it just wasn't working out with this one, so she's like, I, I need this, so I'll jump to the next one, and jump to the next one, and jump to the next one. And she's seeking for something. She's seeking for some kind of fulfillment. And whatever it was, this woman was seeking fulfillment and peace. And here's the thing. Every single one of us is seeking fulfillment. We're all seeking that. It may not be men or wanting to bear a child, but it's something for you. And she knew that the Messiah was going to come and that he was going to bring fulfillment. And so in this moment, she, she sits back and you can almost just kind of see a tear well up in her eye because she's so tired. She's so exhausted. And she says, when he comes, he's going to explain everything to us. And Jesus kind of kneels down and leans in and looks her right in the eyes. And he says, I am the Messiah. And she kind of starts piecing it all together. And she's like, okay, wait a second. So, so he said this stuff about the living water, and, and, and he knows about the well of Jacob, and he knows about those things. And, and not only that, like he knew these things about me, and he continued this conversation with me? Like, what in the world? And, and, and he did this, and he said this, and he, and he still treated me like I'm a human being and like all of these different things. And she gets so worked up, and she stops, and she looks at him and gazes into his eyes, and she's like, could it, could it really be you? Could it really be you? I've been longing. I've been waiting for so long. Could it finally be you? It says, as the disciples came back, the woman left 
her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? Which this is, this is huge here. She's saying, this man told me everything I ever did. Come and see him. And the people in town are like, everyone knows everything you ever did. Picture Gothenburg. If somebody's married to five different men and gets divorced and then is living with another one, we all know about it. We do. And this woman is running through town saying, this man told me everything I ever did. And the people are like, why does that matter? Why is she excited about this? Why is she excited that this man knows the very things that she wished we didn't know? Why? Why is this so exciting? We, we probably better go and check this out. And here's the thing. Understand this. All of the sudden, this woman who viewed herself as someone not even worth a conversation was running through town conversing with everyone. The story goes on and talks about how many from the village trusted in Jesus because of the story the woman said, so much so that they invited Jesus to stay with them, and he stayed with them for two more days, and, and many more people came to know him, and it all started with a conversation with a Samaritan woman, a woman who viewed herself as less than simply because of her lineage, her lifestyle, her past, a woman who avoided people in her village. She had been living her life like an outcast. Her actions were determined by how she viewed herself because of how others viewed her and, and what they said about her and the choices that she had made. She was hurting, she was seeking, and she didn't know where to turn. So she turned to another man and another man and another man, just trying to find this fulfillment, all while just trying to find that peace and that hope. But again, because of her lineage, she was counted out because of her reputation, because of what she believed about her her and what she believed her identity was. She believed herself to be not even worthy of a conversation. And that is who Christ chose to transform an entire city. You see, how you view yourself affects the way that you live because actions are an outflow of our mindset. But this woman, the same woman who was mocked and outcast and avoided others, had one simple interaction with Jesus, one conversation with Christ, and it immediately changed how she viewed herself. How others viewed her no longer dictated her actions. If it did, she would have sought out the people in town who maybe didn't gossip about her. But the verse says she was telling everyone. All of a sudden, her opinion of herself being unworthy somehow changed. She knew that the Messiah had come and finally brought fulfillment. All of the striving and seeking and trying to find fulfillment from one man to the next, to the next, to the next, and just trying everything that she could to make herself happy, to, to, to fulfill her, just to, just to fill her up just a little bit. And, and salvation had finally come. And in that instant, the sorrow that she felt, the brokenness that she felt, the weight that she carried was all taken away by the man at the well. 
She was no longer labeled as the adulteress, or at least that's not how she viewed herself. She didn't view herself as that woman that we avoid. You know how she viewed herself? A messenger. Her title was messenger because the one who saves had come. The Messiah had come, and she wanted to tell everyone, even the people who treated her poorly and that she was trying to avoid, she wanted to tell everyone about the Messiah and crossing. When we have an interaction with Jesus, when we meet Jesus, we should not leave the same way that we were before. Because meeting Jesus changes us. It changes how we view ourselves. Jesus changes us. It takes you from sinner, from addict, from adulterer, from liar, from cheater, from deceiver, from broken, from empty, and it takes you from those places and it turns you into the chosen child of God and saved by the amazing grace through the blood of Jesus Christ. We become sons and daughters of the King through the Messiah. Our mindset of worthless, screw-up, failure, whatever it is, unliked, unloved, it changes because we realize that there is one who sacrificed everything to show us that we are loved because Jesus changes how we view ourselves. She didn't live like a worthless woman who was an outcast. She did on the way to the well. Something changed. She lived with boldness instead of in fear. She lived like she had finally, after years and years of searching, found the only thing that would bring fulfillment. But church, and here's the great thing. Unlike the woman at the well, we have the rest of the story. We have the words of God so we can read how he views us. God doesn't want us to continue to view ourselves as failures or sinners or worthless or broken or no good. This, this is how God wants us to view us. You realize that through Christ, you are a masterpiece? Man, when's the last time you woke up saying, I'm a masterpiece? In Christ, you are chosen. In Christ, you are a new creation. You are a temple of God. This is how we are to view ourselves because of what Christ did. So through Christ, we are these things. But so many of us don't live like we are these things. We don't view ourselves this way. We view ourselves based off of our accomplishments. We view ourselves based off of our sins or our past decisions. And God is saying, no, you are my chosen child whom I love. See, if we begin to view ourselves as God views us through Christ, then our actions are going to follow and reflect that. And God, he tells us the same thing that Jesus told his disciples right after this took place. As as the woman was running off through the town telling 
everybody. Jesus is he's standing there at the well, and he's, he's watching, and he's just smiling. And the, the disciples, they show up, and they're, they're trying to give him food, and, and they're like, hey, you're tired. We just walked this long way. And was that a woman? Was that a Samaritan woman you were talking to? And Jesus, he's just standing there smiling watching her just run through and and proclaim who he is. And he's like, you know what? I don't need food. Because that, that fills me up. And while he and the disciples watch as this woman who showed up to the well defeated and broken, hiding from her peers, and watch as she's now running through a village telling everyone about the Messiah. And Jesus just says, just look at that. Just look. Look at that. The world is full of people who felt just like she did. And now look. A life changed. A life changed. And he turns to his disciples, and he says, guys, wake up. Look around. The field is ripe. There are so many people out there who were just like she was. The field is ripe for the harvest. And man, what joy awaits. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester when they see a life that's changed. This world is full of broken and hurting people and crossing. Actions are an outflow of mindset. So we need to set our minds on who God says that we are. And let our actions flow out from that mindset. Because the field is ripe. The field's ripe for the harvest. And so crossing, I have a question for you. What lies have you been believing about yourself? What lies have you been believing about yourself? What are you running through your mind as you wake up every morning? I mean, can you imagine if if we all woke up tomorrow and instead of going, well, here's another Monday, just another day in paradise. If instead of waking up in the morning saying, no, you really screwed up yesterday. Let's just try and make today a little bit better. You know, if, if we woke up and instead of having that as our mindset, this was our mindset, you rolled out of bed and said, I am a masterpiece of God. I am chosen by God. I am loved by God. I am adopted by God. My goodness, Crossing, can you imagine How different would every interaction you have with your family and friends and people at work and anybody, how different would it be if this was your mindset? Because you all of a sudden realize that fulfillment has come and I don't need to try anymore because I am fulfilled in Christ. Man, crossing. It's so hard for us to grasp this because so few of us live like this. I struggle with this each and every second of every day because Satan is standing there and he's saying, oh, you did this. Oh, I don't know if God can forgive that. Oh, God doesn't view you that way because this was your decision. 
Tell him to shut his mouth because this is who we are. This is who we are because of Christ and crossing. Man, the field is ripe for the harvest. How can we expect to be a church to see people meet, follow, and fall in love with Jesus when we view ourselves as failures and not the way that God views us through his son? Crossing, come on. Let's be this church. Let's be people who embrace our identity in Christ because of what he sacrificed. He did not sacrifice his life for us to live like we're worthless. That is not why he gave his life. He gave his life so we would stop feeling worthless and so we would move from sinner and condemned to hell to be in heaven with him forever and to live a life that brings him glory. That is why he offered his life, to save a sinner like me because I could not save myself. That is why he did it. So we can live our life like this and tell people, you aren't worthless. There's someone who loved you so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for you, to take the punishment from your sins upon himself so that you don't have to strive and try anymore. You can be free. Crossing, let's be that church who lives knowing what our identity is. Dear God, would you just help us? Man, we all struggle with this so much. And God, the lies that we believe about ourselves hold us back from so much that you have called us to do. So God, give us the strength to have this mindset. I pray that you would imprint it on our hearts that through Christ, this is who we are. And to stop believing the lies of the enemy. Because you saved us for a reason, God. You sent your son for a reason. Help us to believe it and to step into that, God, because the field is ripe. Thank you so much for loving us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.